0: welcome to our c3 grow podcast wherever you are today we hope that this message encourages you we'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations howick ormiston and suva visit c3grow.org for details this morning we continue our sermon series wisdom from above and in this series, we're walking through the book of James over the course of several months, and we are considering what it is to live wisely that is, to live well and to live right with both God and people. We are now nine weeks into this series, and we're still in James 2 because we've been moving through the book uh, in small bites. Today, though, we're going to be covering quite a lot of ground. We're going to be reading from James 2, verses 14 through to 26. It's quite a large section of Scripture because it's all part of the one argument. And it's addressing the issue of how those who are saved by grace through faith, as all who are saved are, how do we now think about works? How do we now think about good deeds Uh, We're dealing with a challenging passage of Scripture today. Uh, It's a challenging passage of Scripture because it includes what many have seen as a contradiction with the Apostle Paul's teaching. So Paul teaches in Romans 3.28 that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. And at first glance, James appears to say something different and our text today, especially in verse 24. I'm going to try to address that a little bit today, at least enough for you to see that, in fact, there is no contradiction or disagreement on any crucial aspect of our faith uh, here in the Scriptures. So I invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me now to James chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 through to 26. 14 through to 26. James chapter 2. Verses 14 through to 26. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now, Uh, This has the potential to be a confrontational and provocative message. And as we've seen in previous weeks, James is not at all shy about lining up and confronting individuals who may profess to be followers of Christ, but in actuality are not bearing the kind of fruit that a true and sincere faith produces in a person. So, for example, uh, we've already seen him line up and confront the person who is a hearer of the word but not a doer. And also, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen him line up and confront the person who professes to be a Christian but then routinely participates in an institutional show of partiality and it's fair to say that in these confrontations he's not just pointing out the inconsistency that exists between the faith that they are professing and the deeds that they are displaying in some attempt to modify their behavior he's not just aiming for better manners right he's going further than that he's actually questioning whether such people could actually possess an authentic saving faith at all. He's asking, how could it be? How could it be that a person with an authentic saving faith would live a life characterized by a willful and careless disobedience to God's word? Couldn't be, could it? Now, sure we all still fall short of the life that we see God's word call us to live. And for that, we still have daily cause to repent. And for that reason, we thank God for his grace and for the advocacy of his son. But a person who reads or hears the word of God and then walks away and immediately disregards what they've heard, Uh, and in the way that they orientate and live their life, they show no concern for the word. How could it be that this person's faith is genuine? Couldn't be, could it? Now, how how could it be that a person with an authentic saving faith would live a life characterized by the showing of partiality and the, the upholding of distinctions which the Lord Himself has destroyed, and making us one people, reconciling us into His body, it couldn't be, could it? Couldn't be. Now, sure, we we still all fall short of the royal law uh, to love our neighbor neighbor as ourselves, and for that we have daily cause to repent. For that reason, we thank God for His grace and for the advocacy of His Son, as well as the grace and the forgiveness that we are all called to show one another. Uh, But a person who receives the grace and the kindness of God and then disregards it uh, and uh, treats others without mercy and without warmth, how could it be that such a person's faith is genuine? It just couldn't be, could it? Jesus himself said, uh, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, right? It's not just unlikely, it's impossible. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And now, this is the major point of James here. A true faith, a faith which saves, is linked inseparably to good deeds. A false faith is barren and impotent to save. So he says in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James is boldly challenging the false thinking that is present in some people, both then and now. These people say that they are justified by their faith and they've been saved by his grace alone. And again, as we heard from Paul earlier, everyone who is saved is saved by faith through grace, apart from works. Nobody is justified by their works. Don't misread James here. But the problem with these people is they have professed belief and bad behavior. They have so much to say, but their lives have very little to show. They're saying that they have been made a healthy tree, but they're either bearing no fruit or bad fruit. How could it be? Couldn't be. Could it? Now, in in verse 15 and 16, James is going to illustrate this argument. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, here's the illustration. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Notice the way he ends, verse 16. It's the same way that he began, verse 14. What good is it? What good is it? The poor are not in any way satisfied with empty well wishes, like go in peace, be warmed and filled. And in the same way, God is not at all satisfied with empty professions of faith that are devoid of any kind of meaningful actions which would substantiate them as being genuine. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The obvious answer is it's not any good at all. That kind of faith is about as much good as someone being confronted by a disheveled, desperately hungry person and just sort of lazily uh, brushing them off and waving them away, saying, feel better, thoughts and prayers, right, as they breeze right past them to just go on with their day and they never give that person's welfare another thought. Now, that person might tell themselves that they did something good. They might tell others that they did something good. But in reality, they did nothing good at all. Cost them nothing. Benefited the other, not at all. Just a hollow interaction. Well, that's what James is saying here. He's saying, some of you have a faith that you profess, which costs nothing and benefits God, not at all. It's just a hollow interaction. So then James says here in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, some will misunderstand verse 17. And it's very important that, that you properly understand verse 17. If you don't properly understand verse 17, then you don't understand Christianity. Because some will hear James is saying we are saved by works. That's not what he's saying. Or that we are saved by a combination of faith and works. That's not what he's saying. Our works have absolutely no saving power or quality in themselves. None. So if you think about Uh, the works which James employs here in this illustration in verses 15 and 16, the good work to do would have been to see to it that the brother or the sister who is poorly clothed and hungry is provided with sufficient clothes and sufficient food, right? Now, clearly, it's possible to do those things without any kind of honour being shown to Jesus at all. okay. Many people do. All over the world, there are all kinds of humanitarian efforts going into addressing all kinds of humanities crises, and it's very good work. Very good work. But it's totally unrelated to Jesus. Totally unrelated to Jesus. So therefore... The presence of these kinds of works cannot be used as a definitive proof of the presence of a saving faith. That's not what James is claiming. But what he's saying is that the absence of these kinds of good works might argue against your claim of possessing saving faith. It may just be the case that the absence of these kinds of good works is indicative of an absence of saving faith. We'll pick it up from verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now we don't know. Uh, Whether this was an actual interaction or a hypothetical one. But either way, James is unequivocal here in his argument against the separation of faith from work. And then he says in verse 19, You believe that God is one? Good. But even the demons believe and shudder. Now, that right there is a hammer blow to the person who believes that saving faith is just having all of your theological ducks in a row, just believing the right things, having it all sorted out in your head. Few of us have been reading the Gospel of Mark recently, and uh, in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, such an action-packed Gospel. Right in the first chapter, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. The people are amazed. They're astonished by his teaching and his authority. They were used to, you know, hacks like me. And then this guy turns up, and he's got this amazing uh, understanding and insight and authority, and they would have been absolutely captivated and transfixed, just hanging on every word. And then all of a sudden, there's this disturbance in the meeting. There's this commotion caused by a man with an unclean spirit. and We read in uh, Mark 1, 24, that the man with the unclean spirit is presented as saying, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Of course, this wasn't the man speaking. It was the unclean spirit speaking through him. It was the demon. And then the demon he says this remarkable thing. He says this remarkable thing. He says, I know who you are. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. That's quite a statement. Sounds really, really similar to the profession of faith that Peter made. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The demon basically said the same thing. Was this demon a believer? Was this demon trusting in Jesus as Savior and submitting to him as Lord? Of course not. He just knew who Jesus was, right? He had a correct theological understanding of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. It is much better to have a correct theological understanding of Jesus than an incorrect theological understanding of Jesus. But this is what James is pointing out. You can have a correct understanding of God that doesn't put you into a position that is any better than the demons. Listen, hell won't be devoid of inhabitants with good theology. Let's read on from verse 20. Now here is where a lot of people perceive a contradiction between the soteriology, so that is doctrine concerning salvation. This is where people might really trip up and perceive a contradiction between Paul and James. By the way, did you know that Martin Luther hated the book of James? Didn't want it to be included uh, in the canon? Uh, because of this issue. He called it the epistle of straw. So let's read from verse 20. We'll read all the way through to verse 26. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Now, a couple of things to say here. When you're dealing with the New Testament epistles, it's always important to remember that these are letters that are written to specific people in specific places at a specific time, and they are contending with Specific issues. you got to remember that in attempting to interpret them. Now, Paul writes to the Romans that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Because this is what his recipients needed to understand. It's very likely that the error that the person that he had in mind was making was thinking, well, uh, I did this and I did that and I did this. Surely God will accept me on the basis of all of that. And that's an error. James will absolutely agree. We saw this last week. We can't think of the law as being like a grading system where we pass some sections and we fail other sections. And if we pass more sections and we fail, God accepts us into his kingdom. But if we fail more sections and we pass, he doesn't. That's not how it works. You fail on one point, you fail on all of it. And we all fail on at least one point. So we're all in need of grace, right? We saw that from James last week. So that's the error that Paul is likely thinking about, person who believes that they are justified by their works, and that is an error. James would agree. Now, James writes... As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead because that is what his recipients needed to understand. It's very likely that the error that the person that James has in mind was making is thinking, well, I believe the right things. Surely God will accept me on the basis of that. Since I'm saved by grace through faith, it doesn't really matter what I do. That's an error. Paul would absolutely agree. The shared soteriology of Paul and James is expressed clearest and best, I think, by Paul in Ephesians 2. Let's look at that together. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through to 10. I think Paul and James agree on this point. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Now, notice there, Paul affirms that salvation is by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he continues that having been saved in this way, the natural outcome and the life of the recipient of the gift of salvation is good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by them. We're not more saved by them. We don't keep our salvation through them. We are saved for them. It's God's intention. When Christ saved you, he made you to become a new creature with a new life. And a part of this new life is good works. If all you do is talk about your faith, but you have nothing to show, it's worth asking the question whether you really have a living, saving faith at all. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay. That's quite a lot. But today we've heard a lot from Paul and from James. Let's close hearing from Jesus. Come with me to John chapter 6. We'll read from verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. which the son of man will give to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God which endure to eternal life? Such a great question. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe. Believe. Believe, and then let that belief bear its fruit. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.